Hello, it's Charlotte's sister, C. Farrell, host of Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast that invites you to do what you love. This podcast is for you if you love writing or telling stories, if you love sharing poetry or doing interviews. This podcast is for you if you love working on ways to create age-friendly cities. This podcast is for you if you love learning how to tame technology and get more out of virtual events, if you love finding more ways to share your heritage or traditions. If you love any of these things, you can go beyond listening and join our weekly podcast group. Simply email pbaafc at gmail.com and put your name in the subject line. Powered by Age is sponsored by the Government of Canada, New Horizons Grant, the 411 Senior Center Society, and GNF Financial Group. Hello and welcome to Powered by Age. I'm Charlotte Farrell, coordinator and host. And I want you to know today we're going to be, again, recognizing Indigenous Peoples Month, as well as last week we talked about how far we've come with uh, 20 different things we wanted to do to change the perception of older people. And uh, we, this week, people are going to bring examples of ways that they want to change through stories or uh, other items that you'll be hearing. But I want to first uh, acknowledge that our work takes place on the unceded lands of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Salihuatuth nations, which means we do not give it to us. And at some point, there will have to be a reconciliation of those lands to their ancestral rights. Uh, I want to acknowledge that our podcast program is sponsored by the Government of Canada, New Horizons Grant, the 411 Senior Society, and the GF Financial Group. We're very thankful for their recognition of the importance of seniors' voices being heard. Um, now I'm going to invite um, Nancy <laughs> to invite someone she's been talking about around this uh, this uh, effort to change the per perception of seniors. And then before she gets into that, we're going to do something else that we talked about going forward. We want to do movement. We want to include movement because people have talked about sitting as the new smoking. And sitting for a long period of time is particularly not good for us as we, including me, <laughs> grow older. So Jesse is going to play uh, a piece of music that is from an indigenous um, musician here in Canada. So Nancy? Hi, I'm Nancy and uh, I live on Vancouver Island in beautiful Nanaimo. And I noticed a sign yesterday parking in the parking lot in the plaza. And the sign, and you know how they have the different signs now for families, babies. Um, there's always been signs for, you know, disabled parking, that sort of thing. But this sign said, Seniors 55 Plus Parking. Hmm. It didn't settle so well with me. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, it was just a real disconnect for me. And so I was curious about the image of that. I was curious about what other people's feelings would be about that. I took a picture of it, actually. I posted it on my um, social media on Facebook. <laughs> just to get some responses. And, and some people responded like, yeah, because we get, you know, discounts. 
and other people said, well, you know, that's that's the good thing that, you know, that we're at that point. But the person that made that comment is, you know, in their 70s. The 55 and parking spot closest, because then I started digesting it a little bit, processing a little bit, and I thought, well, if it was an issue about ability, physical ability to be able to walk comfortably a shorter distance, then, you know, that could potentially fall under the, the category of, of disabled parking, right? So I'm, I'm processing my feelings and my reaction to a parking sign to have a spot closest to the building that said 55 plus. Can I co- comment on that? Please. The, the issue around the disability parking is you have to have a decal. And in order to have a decal, you have to apply to Spark to get the decal. Mm-hmm. So while it's true that there's the parking spaces set aside for people with disabilities, if someone doesn't have a disability um, that you can actually get a decal for, then then they're SOL. So, you know, I think there is that other piece to it, that there are people who are older who don't have a decal but who need who who it who need to be and who for whom it would be better to be able to park closer. Yes, I understand that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah the other reason too a 55 plus is a more digestible or acceptable way of saying older people. Uh, several agencies, the federal government, provincial government, uh, our station, other stations, people have said they don't want to be called seniors, don't want to be called golden ages. Uh, they don't like, I don't like the picture that they have, the, the icon for a disabled person is someone who's been over on a cane. Well, many people, as Chris said, have hidden disabilities. Mm-hmm. I escort somebody who has a pacemaker that looks, you know, is fitted as a, a fiddle, but she has a pacemaker and cannot walk long distances. So when it's just that sign, visible sign of a wheelchair or a cane or somebody, you know, bent over to their to their disability, then it gets other people shaming or saying, you know, you don't belong here. So I think that that age just, it, it takes some things out of the argument. And as well, it doesn't make a person have to go to a doctor, get a doctor certified, they can have a decal, put people at risk of a penalty if you don't have that certification in your glove compartment at the time a policeman challenges you about the space. Sure enough. I don't know. What do you think, Diane? It's, it's all subjective. I don't... I don't think anything about it. It's subjective. And so I was um, thankful when, when my husband was sick um, and had a hard time walking, but he didn't want to get a little tag, right, for the car. So I thought, oh, 55 plus, we can use that. <laughs> and so as, other than that, I haven't noticed. I don't pay attention to oldie stuff. Um, but... I like to be recognized as a sage um, with wisdom and those kind of things. As far as infirmities or or illnesses, I do my very best to take good care of my health. And uh, that's what I do. And and prevention to me is everything. You know, some things you can't avoid, but some things you really can. And I've dealt with back issues 
and I still never sought um, a tag because of my back injury because I, I don't want to pull myself into that into that um, being disabled, even though that's what happened. You know, that having my mind wrapped around me being disabled, it doesn't it doesn't flow with my energy. You know, right. even though I've had the injury that says I was, I still could not accept it. You know, so I'm in that kind of conflict state where so and so says you're disabled. The doctor says you are, but in my mind, I'm not. Yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I think that's why some people, too, didn't respond to the city's um, invitation to be in a conversation about uh, dis as, as disabled people rather than as just people who are challenged or people who have opinions about the transportation system or about accessibility. But speaking of movement, another thing that we are working on building into our uh, podcast is doing some movement to music because sitting is called the new smoking because of so many ways it affects the health. So however you move, you can move in a chair, you can move your hands, and you can also move and think because this particular piece of music is from uh, a local indigenous musician and we are thinking about the words how words and music can also help us to uh, identify with the heritage and history uh, so this is going to be the uh, local artist Nimkish who is from here uh, in Vancouver in unceded Coast Salish territory uh, and her song YSB which stands for Young Sick Broke Fight, war, greed, wealth, rights, safe, 
Jesse, that's one of the things that uh, they've been praying. Some uh, people who have been in residential schools and talking about the healing that still needs to occur, the flashbacks some people have had. Uh, there was a man on checks or global TV that they were going to interview. And as he started, and he was maybe in his, his, his 60s to 70s, but as he started to talk about it, he said he had so many horrible flashbacks, he just couldn't go, go on. But I think moving to the music, each time I was thinking young, sick, and broke, um, that's one of the, how do, you, how do you associate that with, as a message from uh, an indigenous young woman? I mean, do you see an association, a, 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 there's been a lot of conversation around um, foster care is the new residential schools that kids are put into foster care and then emancipated out of it at 18, but without a job, without money, without anything to, to help them, you know, get started in adult life. I think there's a, a real connection to the idea of intergenerational trauma. And the idea that, and well, to remember that a lot of what uh, she is speaking about and what, you know, the conversation around residential schools and uh, the Indigenous peoples of Canada, like a lot of what is being discussed is still ongoing. And even if it's not currently ongoing, the effects of what has happened in the past still have present day ramifications. And they still affect the day-to-day -day life of uh, the people uh, who are descended from, from those who might have been in residential schools or uh, otherwise uh, interacted with sort of the colonialism of the Canadian state. I was thinking something very similar. And one of the other things that I read recently, I think, I don't remember where, but um, that that because there's these these stereotypes um, that exist, I'm thinking of Vancouver and the downtown east side and the fact that so many people are uh, are First Nations and that to think, to remember that this is part of the, the, the part of the experience of the whole residential schools and the taking of culture and, and the, you know, the, the attempt at destruction, well, not just the attempt, but the destroying of a, of a people. And so while we, we see, we see people, I see people, I used to work in the downtown East side. So I'm very familiar with the environment there and, and also very familiar with the fact that for most of these people are there because of trauma. That's how they end up there. And that the trauma is definitely linked to 
uh, or can't be separated from the impact of of colonialism. Uh, I, I think too, when reporters were looking for people to talk to, um, it said a lot of the people were homeless. This particular man that they were going to interview uh, said he's living on the streets because he had been separated from his family. He went to the schools, but then afterwards, there was never anything given him to help him, you know, build a foundation. So he was saying, you know, the, the thought of being on a land that is everybody in all their meetings, you know, acknowledge it's unceded land, but there's nothing of the landholders rights, you know, just sleeping on the street. I think it's just unconscionable. And this is what some people in their call to action is, you know, that we should really look at uh, the relationship between homelessness, alcoholism, uh, drug use, and having been robbed of attachment to a family and robbed of, from attachment to one's culture and the society giving you the means to, 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 to live or to get a job or to own property and not have to be homeless. A friend of mine told me recently that someone that he knew had bought, had bought a place, or know whether it was a condo or, or a house, whatever, and what he did was to trace back the land titles until he actually got all the way back to the land title of whatever the First Nations group was that actually had title to the land that his home was built on. I thought that was very interesting. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm sitting on a piece of somebody else's property as well, right? Um, and I think one of the things for me is that also, you know, thinking about land and possession and, and, and housing, that my understanding is that um, for First Nations people, it's not a question of individuals owning land. It's like, this is the land we have and this is the land we share. Uh, and so in many ways, that makes the fact that many First Nations people are homeless even worse because, because they, are on, they are on land, shared land that's their shared land um, that they've been generous enough to share with us, uh, but we've kind of taken huge advantage of, 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 of our power and where we are. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, in, in our neighborhood, real estate agents are tripping over themselves trying to get people to sell their properties. And they made a, a, a sheet, a flyer, and it listed, you know, between Main Street and Fraser, the average price of, of uh, homes had gone from well, up to uh, 1800000 as the median price. And these are places that they don't have a swimming pool in the back. They don't have a circular drive. But that's all across um, Vancouver and then over into the, the islands, the price has gone up more than uh, 30%. And so how will they ever get to the point of getting back to uh, reconcil reconciliation of the land with the people when 
there are people who will now say, well, I've sunk a million, I have $2 million in this piece of real estate or this piece of property. What, what do you think will happen with reconciliation or people's idea toward reconciliation when there's this artificial idea that, you know, you, you own this piece that has, has risen, you know, in value so much? How do you think that would be reconciled, Nancy? I, I don't know at this moment. I don't, um, I don't have any comments that come to mind, by the way. I'm just digesting what you were sharing. It, it's hard, and it's, it's, a, it's a question that has not been answered, right? That, that is the, the process of reconciliation is how do we get from where we are currently, where there is this idea of private land ownership. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, Chris, you can trace that land ownership all the way back to the original Indigenous people who inhabited the, the land. Um, and at, at the time of uh, colonization, the British government just said, hey, if you're a uh, white man who can read and write you are entitled to 300 acres of land and that's just yours um and so there's the the sort of contradiction between sort of the idea of indigenous peoples having their shared land with the uh colonists the settlers um and the current situation where almost all land is owned by uh, settlers of some form, whether they're, you know, they have been in, their families have been in Canada for uh, 200 years or five, like most land in, in this part of the world is owned by not Indigenous people. And so to, to reconcile those two is a very difficult, it's a very difficult conversation because it means uh, dealing with some, to put it extremely lightly, like historical unpleasantness. Right. There's a lot of there's a lot of bad in there. And it's that's why it's reconciliation is it's not it's not simple. It's not just accepting that, like, you know, the blue is blue or whatever. There are there are some actual like pretty strongly rooted perspectives that need to be negotiated. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I agree. It's a very, very complicated and and very long-standing challenge. However, in terms of thinking about reconciliation, one of the things that that uh, I think there are many other, I don't want to say smaller, but many other more th things that w are more easily fixed. You know, just the fact that so many um, so many folks who live on reserves don't have clean water. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that is something that from my perspective, is easily fixable. So, you know, I, I, I think somehow um, what, might, what, what might work for us is to look at smaller things that might be a possibility of, of, of actually changing. I mean, one of the things that happened this week is that the, the, the chiefs of three of the nations have stood up and said, mm -hmm. uh, we're taking ownership of this piece of the forestry. And so the protests that have been happening for the last 
number of weeks and months around this, the, the, the cutting down of the old growth forests here in, in, on, 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 the, on Vancouver Island has actually begun to shift the conversation. So instead of it being the, the, the BC government and the companies that do the chopping down and that get the results, we've now have a situation where these three chiefs have stood up and said, no, 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 this is our land, this is our resource, and we need to be part of managing that resource. And so suddenly, the, 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 work on the, the work on that and that part of the forest has stopped. So there's now a two-year moratorium on the cutting down of, of, of those old growth trees until the government and the First Nations people work out a, a reasonable, sustainable plan. So I think, I think in some ways the, the issue of land and who owns it and all that kind of stuff is... Is, is a huge one to tackle. And, and on the other hand, there are these smaller ways in which, the, and stuff that's written in the report from, um, that's written in the actual reconciliation report that actually can be done uh, and haven't been done. I, I think, you know, when we were talking about the notion of older people, uh, one of the negative notions people identified a few months ago is of, of being apathetic. However, when they were showing the people being arrested, one of the people that was uh, arrested was uh, an 80 or 90-year-old woman who was standing up and saying, well, you can take me to jail. <laughs> she made them uh, look shameful with, you know, roughly handling her, but she was was not apathetic in the least. Many of the people were older people and then the chiefs. So I think people recognizing that uh, there is some wisdom, there's some experience in the activists with learning, you know, as you've stated, what is this, this reconciliation about? Uh, intergenerational transfer of information so that people aren't just... Uh, protesting without understanding a platform or protesting without understanding the history, but really seeing what there is within this, this act and that people have the experience. I think resiliency is one of the other characteristics of people 55 and older that we've identified as people involved in this, this podcast. Uh, and that the picture often the picture that was shown during COVID of older people was somebody looking out the window and just looking sad or someone who um, was bedridden rather than that there have been people in each of the, the demonstrations that have happened, the anti, um, the hatred, the anti um, violence, you know, marches or demonstrations to end the, the, violence happening to black people, East Indian, Indian, um, people of, of, other, of other faiths, you know, what just happened last week with the uh, family being mowed down um, because of them, they were Muslim and because of their uh, Islamic practice. The people have been uniting around those things. And you see older people within the groups, older people are not just standing back. Older people are very much involved in uh, being supportive and calling for people to join uh, forces, to not just each group be isolated, but uh, 
our reconciling and our working with and uniting with the indigenous people, I think is one way of getting to the bottom of it because um, uh, it, 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 it makes people feel like, well, it's not just about you all, or it's just a long time ago that this is something that is important to uh, school children as well as to older people. Now, um, moving into more that idea of this week, we were going to be showing some examples of ways that um, people are getting to know people and know about um, members of our group who are writers and also the stories they tell about the other generation. Uh, Diane Babcup is here and is going to be sharing her story, but she's going to tell us about the story she's telling, <laughs> tell us about her process. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in Nanaimo, and I, um, I'm a writer of lots of different genres, you know. But um, what I wanted to do for my family, uh, and I don't know that actually that this particular broadcast today is a good time to do this. But um, so maybe I'll save it for another day. But what I was going to say is what I did with my aunt who is 97 um, and she's the youngest of 12 children and last of my father's side. Um, I asked her to tell the stories of the family, what it was like growing up with my grandmother and grandfather who I never knew very well at all. And my grandfather died when my dad was um, six months old. And so it left her with uh, 11 children to raise by herself. And so that's what it was about, but there's no time to talk about that now. I just wanted to say that there's stories and in reporting stories, like I did with my aunt, to give it to the family, to pass it on that we can give these stories because she has a good memory. And mm -hmm. so I took a, a tape recorder, a voice recorder, and I said, oh, I'd asked her questions about grandmother and what it was like growing up. And um, she just kept telling story after story and what it was like. And so we get to be very, very close to, I get to be very close to my grandparents through the stories that my aunt told me. And then at the same time, I get to be very close to my great-grandparents because I have my great-grandmother's memoirs and my great-grandfather's poetry from, it's over a hundred years old now, but telling what life was like as Canadian pioneers. So those kind of things is like what I like to collect and be able to give to the family is, is those stories and being able to say, this is what my grandma was like just strong, very strong. And it was, it's amazing what she did raising 11 children by herself with the eldest one being 18 and the youngest one being my dad at six months old. So, and, and the way she, you know, took back her children when the welfare wanted to take them all away and adopt them all out. And she said, no, you know, and just the things, the people that helped her out and how she did it, you know, 
how she actually did take care of those kids and, and, and the fact that they had 12 together. If my grandfather hadn't passed, they likely would have had more, you know? Yeah. <laughs> those are important stories to, to harvest and an important thing to encourage other people to do because sometimes people say kids aren't interested, but I found when I've told young kids in our family stories about my grandmother, you know, they, they're listening and they're excited and, you know, it's an important thing to, to, to carry forth. So mm -hmm. are your stories, do you have individual stories or is there one of the stories? Is it a collection of stories? Actually what this is, it's more of a, um, a, a bit of a biography about my grandmother and how she worked within, you know, how she did it, how she, you know, the fact that she made the clothes, the fact that she never got sick because she had the sicknesses when she was a child, even though many of her children were sick and grandfather was sick, she never got sick. She was always there taking care of the household. Always. Mm -hmm. And she knew how to do it. Like, 12 kids, eight, and the youngest, one of them died very young. Um, and so that was very uh, heartbreaking, I'm sure. But, you know, just to carry that sense of, you know, that hardiness, you know, that she had. And sometimes I feel she's, you know, watching over me and watching over all of us because I can kind of feel her strength sometimes. When, you know, I need to, you know get things done and and I and I don't ever feel if I have feel I have to come I want to complain about something I just think about her and I'm going you know I have no right to complain and I don't complain usually but I don't think other people should complain to so much <laughs> as they do that's for sure you know when you have examples like that in the world you know that's inspiring you know it shows how resilient we are as human beings. Yeah, and I think also uh, the respect for older people, a thing that has, has shifted with people moving about so much is sometimes they don't bring their family members along. And so uh, you have generations that they grew up without having any connection to an older person and their values are things that people, you know, we always did it this way, or these are the ways, these are the, the values, like saving money, or different things. I think it's really good that you have, uh, you know, collected this as something that you can read and share. So is it organized in, in chapters? What is the way that you have organized your, your This your particular, book? as a presentation, just in bullet points. Yeah. Two pages ah. of bullet, bullet points, um, plus photos of the house that grandfather built. And then, you know, it's, it's a story in bullet points because, you know, each point is an aspect of it. It just gives a little image into uh, what their life was like, you know, when it comes to putting everything into a short period of time bullet points help a lot it's not into a story at this point mm -hmm. it was just in bullet points to create a, a short presentation for today is how it was going to be presented 
Okay, and so what's the length of the presentation? Two pages of bullet points right here. <laughs> so we haven't timed it. You know what we, we've been working with, because Chris has also told the story, and we've, we've been at the beginning when we first shifted from meetings at the 411 Center to meeting online, uh, one of the first things people did, people shared different stories. And so we found when a story goes past eight minutes, it gets long for people who are listening. So we're looking at ways of um, telling stories and our, our podcast creation meetings are a good way sometimes for a person to get feedback and to see um, we, we have three mus musicians within our group. Um, are there ways of putting music in? Are there ways of putting tones in? What are some of the ways that you can enhance a long story that someone has? You take a break. You know, we're all of, a, of an era where we used to go to the movies and they would come to a point and they'd say it'll be continued in two weeks. <laughs> you know, you would see something and then music would play and you'd come back in two weeks and you get the rest of the story. <laughs> so we're looking at how we can do that about stories people tell because the stories are valuable. But we also live in an age where... Um, especially from the 60s over into the 60s, people were socialized to have things change every four seconds. Um, at the retirement age, I went back to school, to film school, and I had an instructor that told me, you can't hold on to an image for longer than four seconds. Every four seconds, and it made me watch a program and, and count every time the camera changed, and it literally was at four seconds, it changes either to, to something. But also with, with listening, uh, it's encouraging that a lot of people are, are subscribing. Podcasts are one of the things a lot of older people as well as young people are subscribing. So people are interested, but it's just looking at what can we do? So it would be good if maybe if we had the first page of your bullet points just to hear how it flows so that we could look of, at ways. The, the other thing that we do is sometimes stories like Chris had a story that she told within the podcast but then recorded it separately so that it's on our our website in the thing that's called spins those are stories poems interviews and novelties so um we have two of the people that are part of our production group are also uh producers and um creative artists, people working with the radio station CJSF, so that on a different day from our podcast, when people get individualized help, some of that is around things like inflection, speed, tones, what other things can you do so that stories that you have are, that are valuable can be recorded and presented to people in a way that, you know, holds or sparks their attention. So would you feel comfortable sharing what you have in your first bullet point? Um. Well, yeah, I actually have a few bullet points in different sections, like uh, like her, you know, she was um, she was born in uh, 1889 in Port Elgin, Ontario. Uh, she was married to George Wellington Babcock in 1913 in Regina, and they moved to Courtney. And he was a, uh, a welder and a boiler maker for Comox Logging. So they lived in one of the Comox Logging houses until he uh, built a house himself. And he built it with, it was a log house with 
vertical logs rather than horizontal logs. And so she was only four foot 11 and that's her shoe. Wow. She two and a half. <laughs> this is my shoe, seven and a half, see? So that's the other show and tell part that I was gonna show you guys. <laughs> and um, and uh, like I said, she, uh, she never got sick because she had, the, she had all the illnesses like the scarlet fever, the uh, measles and all those things kids brought home because there was like 11 kids, right? Uh, grandfather always got, and he always got sick, but she never did because she had them when she was younger and her mother went through the same thing. She was always the strong one that never got sick when the kids did. Um, every night, you know, my, my aunt relays, she'd be nursing a baby or given a bottle. She used to hum and sing a lot. Um, she played the mouth organ. She couldn't swim, so she didn't take teach them. Grandfather did that. Um, she would look in a catalog and the kids would pick out what they want. She would buy the material and make it. And she would do that for everything, absolutely everything. And um, she for all the kids, and she would help the teacher make costumes as well. Um, after when they were building the house, he would go after work and, and, and go the four miles and build the house and come home. She would go up and help him with digging the well. And after... And this is on top of everything else, right, that they were doing. And on the last day of school in 33 is when they moved into the house. And then it was uh, two weeks later, um, grandfather was uh, thinking he could get more water from the well. So he was pulling away at the rocks and he got a chill and got pneumonia. And mm. then he, he died then. Um, so... After that, she, um, you know, like I said, the uh, welfare came and wanted to take all the kids. Kids scattered as soon as they saw her car come, social worker's car come, but she would not let them take any of the children. So they paid her $60 a month to take care of them. And it, and one kid moved away, they would take $5 away from her. But she had a cow and the chickens and she and the older ones could help out. Um, when some of them turned it like 14, they would go away and uh, work and send money home. Um, and the house burnt down and she moved into Courtney and she was known as Courtney Grandma. And then, uh, yeah, so I only met her once when I was about three, I guess. Well, she died when I was three, so I just remember meeting her once for tea. She made very good tea as well. What was her name? Nora. <laughs> Nora Annabelle. She was born uh, Nora Hunter in uh, Ontario, so that was a big family as well. Well, that was very interesting. I can picture the things. Uh, I'm picturing the, the 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 children scattering, you know, with the woman coming, the welfare woman coming to take them. Yeah, uh, yeah they loved their mother. They were wonderful parents, and um, they would get a fever if they were away from her for too long. Hmm. they would get themselves also worked up and so in meeting her did she directly is there anything that she directly told you that you particularly remember no no I was just I just vaguely remember being inside her little trailer and uh, she had made tea for me so like I was only around 
you know, two or three. Oh. So it was very long. <laughs> but like I say, I feel like she's around me all the time. And, you know, I carry that, you know, that strength. So, you know, I just, I just feel everybody's got a little bit of her in them, that strength to, you know, keep going and, and, and just manage, you know, micromanage all these children and duties. And even before grandfather died, she had um, all of that to do as well. And then afterwards, so it was, and she had to keep going, you know. And grandfather was in the hospital when, when one of the children died, and he didn't know until six weeks after. So she carried that by herself as well until he came out of the coma. Mm. Those are kind of little bullet points of things that she's overcome and um, and never ha- was able to stop, you know. But she adored her kids, and that's one thing that uh, I would like. I, I really notice when people adore their children, you know. They just make sure that they're, they come first, Yes, I think this would be an enjoyable story. And then we'd be thinking of things like sounds, like a car horn and other things that could, you know, highlight or go its background at different parts of the story. Yes, it's, yeah, it's like I say, it's not a story yet. It was just, today it was a show and tell. And so that's why bullet points, because it has to really condense it, right? Yes. Well, I, I took a class over the weekend. It was called Media Magic. And that was one of the first things they had on the uh, thing and talking about making a video, how people could make videos from their stories. And they said, use bullet points. Don't use the script. When people use a script, they get confused about the script. They worry about the script. They have to keep cutting and going over and over. But when you have your bullet points, you know, you say it more naturally and you don't worry about every little word but it it, you know it comes across it communicates and it's more interesting yeah and you have to go with you know the 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 environment that you're in and and the scene and the people around and 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 part of it is winging it you know like the bullet points are, are there but if somebody wants to jump in and elaborate with you on something or for themselves there's room for that you know that brings me to a point of saying, if you know, you're listening to the podcast and you are also interested in being able to tell stories, things of pain, pleasure, accomplishment, things that you remember and want to anchor down for other people, join our podcast. We have it every Thursday at one o'clock. Uh, if you would like to Sometimes people just are on and they're, they're silent. Uh, other times people give their opinions about topics we're talking about, or they ask questions about stories people tell. So you can contact me at pbaafc at gmail.com. That stands for Powered by Age. We're working toward our goal is creating an age-friendly city. Um, People who've joined the podcast, one of the things that we ask is not just identifying things that are wrong, but what are you able to and willing to contribute? So we have had many people who were activists in different things that have shared what they did about housing rights, shared what they were involved with uh, within the schools, shared what they've involved with dealing with gender issues and laws that penalized people that didn't allow same-sex marriage or didn't allow 
interracial marriage. So there have been a lot of topics that we've talked about. There's still many to go. We haven't come to a finished solution about anything, (laughs) Uh, but we definitely have uh, covered and are welcoming more people to get involved in the podcast. We do make an effort when, like with June, it was a special month for Indigenous people. We're going to be talking next month about uh, International Refugees Day. It includes Father's Day and it includes Pride Month. So uh, at each of those times, we invite members of our group or guests that they invite or know to come in and talk about or do a special presentation. So it's an organic living thing. So we invite you to join PBA Powered by Age uh, and to tell a friend if you liked it or you know, contact us if you too would like to become a part. So I'm Charlotte Frail, your host, and look forward to, uh, we can see each other through Zoom, but if you're listening, you won't see us, <laughs> but you'll be able to, to hear us. So thank you for listening today, and I'll um, see you again next week. Thank you. Thank you. Uh,